Actually, Best Choice Movies, the world's only movie podcast, and I am very pleased about that, honestly. Uh, my name is Chris Chafin. I'm one of the hosts. Caleb Shively, one of the hosts. Hmm. Uh, so every two weeks on Actually Best Choice Movies, we talk about two films that are generally in the genre of good. I feel like I've been forgetting to say that for the last like six months or so. Like these are supposed to be good movies. That's the whole idea of the show. Yeah. Right? Word of mouth movies, uh, maybe a uh, Venice Film Festival nomination or if you're uh, the kind of person who would go oh i heard that competed at the venice film festival yes this is the kind of show that those kinds of movies festival shit festival Festival season good 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 movies um so this week on actually best choice movies we're talking about two films uh like always one of them is old or one of them is newer uh and but they're connected in some way like uh, a humble artist in the pursuit for perfection wouldn't you say caleb I would definitely much say this. Uh, the new film is uh, The Disciple, which just was added to Netflix uh, this past week. Uh, and then we are pairing that with a like-minded movie from 2013 from Joel and Ethan Cohen. Uh, it's Inside Lewin Davis. That is. Uh, so yeah, if you don't know The Disciple... You probably know Inside Lewin Davis, so that's what The Disciple is about. Yeah, it's kind of generally like that. Yeah, Yeah, and again, it was a suggestion of yours, Caleb. Pure genius, very smart. In fact, in the RogerEbert.com review, they compare The Disciple to Inside Lewin Davis. First one I thought of. Fantastic. First thought, Caleb, like they say at UCB, first thought, best thought. Uh, (laughs) And I think actually the tenets of improvisation are very important to talking about our first movie, The Disciple. uh, And we're going to get to that later. That's all this week on actually best choice. Movies. 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 Um, but before we get to any of that, like I realized I was kind of getting into the this part of the show and the last part of the show. So um, we could talk about like, m- you know, movies about trying to be a star. But like, number one, this isn't what the, either of these movies are about, really. And, and number two, like uh, that's like every movie. So that would be like a meaningless category. But like, it, Caleb, talk about the way you think these films are, are connected. Yeah, like, why, just, why do so many people compare these just movies to, to specifically each other? a like? Uh, about these movies, like I said, I was thought about Inside Lewin Davis, and I also read reviews that refer- of The Disciple that referenced Inside Lewin Davis. Uh, it's not so much like being a star. It's like music as a way of life. It, I mean, if you look at the word disciple, it means uh, giving yourself over to something. Uh, it's also uh, about being too sincere to compromise your art. You know what I mean? Yeah. In that like, you really care about your chosen art form uh, for the disciple, it's a uh, classical Hindu music. I think it's called Khalil. I forget actually. I thought my head. I should have wrote that down. Uh, and then inside Lou Davis, it's a certain way of folk music. So it's being too sincere to compromise it in a sellout manner. And they, both these movies address how that genre can sell out, and they're how their protagonists are more pure in their pursuit of it. Uh, and also in that pure pursuit, uh, it's about how you can devote yourself to your chosen art form and 
how the world will not give a shit about that. <laughs> like you could be famous, but also like for the most part, oh yeah, you really care no. about uh, Hindu vocal singing. Who gives a fuck? You really like nobody care cares about, about this, even about within your, even yeah. within the place this has been an art form for two thousand years. Like nope, nobody gives a shit. Nobody You're a cares. talented folk singer. Uh, yeah. Who cares? Well, I think that this one is a little different because actually so many famous people came out of this folk scene and this Greenwich Village folk scene. Like, I do agree that specifically Lewin Davis is a different kind of person. But I mean, right, he sees Bob Dylan at the end of the the movie, which is like, you know, and Simon and Garfunkel, Bob Dylan, like countless other people uh, came out of this exact scene. So like these people could, the idea of the, it was possible to get super famous. Yeah, but that's an idea of like transcendent talent. Like, you have to have a certain level like you can have talent right but sure. it's probably an extra level of uh all-time talent to actually make it in actually make uh, it yeah. like it's bob dylan like he's still right. relevant like, his songs like can come out later. right now because it's this thing where it's like it's not like being a you know with apologies to other jobs like lots of other jobs where if you're like good at it and devoted to it you can be very successful you know, you don't have to literally be one of the world historical unique talents in order to be successful. You know yeah, what I yeah. mean? Like, like Bob Wall Dylan, Street. like there's only one Bob Dylan, you know, but, but so it's like, that's the standard you have to rise to. Yeah, there's no like artistic way to like trade on Wall Street, really. <laughs> well, Caleb, I very much disagree with you on that. Okay. I, <laughs> I actually don't know what I'm talking actually about. Really a, kind of an art form, really. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, that is interesting. And they both kind of have this thing. I mean, Caleb, you, you work in the music industry, right? I used to work in the music industry. You, you do. You do work in the music industry. Um, but it's, the, it's this thing of like, so when I was a kid, all the people I really idolized, you know, the kind of musicians I really idolized, it, w- it was this thing where it would be like, oh, well, you haven't heard of them. I mean, it's like this cliched hipster stuff but i really meant it and usually people had not heard of them you know what i mean i mean not all the time oh, yeah. of course i mean it does, yeah it does happen like even with my wife all the time i'm just like oh you don't know them like uh yeah it's uh i don't know but then Indian what music, i was gonna s- music, yeah. what then the thing you realize as you get older and become an adult and i think this is in the disciple a lot is like like Oh yeah, like literally nobody knows what this is. Like even if I were to be su- as successful as my idol, like literally nobody knows who this is. And like my idol isn't like when you're a child or when you're like thinking about these things it seems so noble to be broke and to be so dedicated to an art form. But then when you become an adult, you it can be like Oh yeah, like literally this person is broke and literally nobody they are not famous. <laughs> it's like mm-hmm. oh, this is actually like I probably shouldn't have modeled my whole life on these people because yeah. well, it doesn't work, you know? Like it doesn't it's not it doesn't work. But of course in another way it, it does work and they're so they're so like these artists that you love and love, care about hey, and respect so much. Yeah, that's such such is life. Uh, it works and doesn't work. There's a old, giant gray area. It's not yeah. always, not ever really black and white. Uh, uh, and I think that's more true to life. And uh, both these movies really are about that. If anything, that's the connection. And that's yeah. what we're talking about. <laughs> and like, what does it mean to be, have an artistic success? Do you know what I mean? Like in mm-hmm. Lewin Davis, there's a scene and not to just like run over what I'm going to say during that part of the show, but it's like, he's talking, he's yelling at Carrie Mulligan and he's calling her careerist and stuff. 
but it's like you know what what is it what is it to have a career in the arts or to want to dedicate yourself to this kind of making this kind of art yeah what, like, what, is does, it what does even... it mean to be successful like doing one good thing once you know yeah. or, or do you have to keep doing them forever or do you have to be rich and or do you have to be famous or like what what is the thing you're even trying mm-hmm. to do you know and what and the uh not necessarily flip side but the question also in that is like what does it mean to sell out or like compromise right. Uh, arts in general is that just if you just make one compromise or just make a certain amount of money is that selling out if you want to live comfortably is that still like out? if you do something if, if you choose to work in a different genre than the one you're currently working in because it's more popular like is that selling out or you know mm-hmm. like it's the tenants you're setting for yourself is it selling out to you it's I mean, you're setting it for yourself. You don't have to tell them anyone. Like it's right. You, like, nobody knows but you. Know, nobody yeah. knows but you. You know, like it's all. So isn't it and, just being so selfish and self-centered to to just be like, oh, I couldn't do something different than like what my pure instinct is? But it's like, well, couldn't you? I don't know. You know, like why? <laughs> yeah, there's no rules here. You're just making shit up as you go. Life's fucking hard. Yeah, just try. Something. Which both these movies touch on that life is pretty damn hard and. Uh, somewhat harder if you choose to uh, set these extra hurdles for yourself. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we've kind of, do you want to just get into it now? Yeah, let's get into it more specifically with certain names of movies that we will say right now. Yeah. So our first movie this week is from 2020. Technically, uh, it just was released on Netflix in the United States. It's called The Disciple. भारतीय शास्त्रीय संगीताला मार्गी संगीत उगेच नाही म्हणत रागाच्या माध्यमातून परमेश्वरापर्यंत पोहोचण्याची वाट दाखवली आहे The Disciple is a 2020 film written, directed, and edited by Chaitanya Timhane. Uh, it was acquired by Netflix, and it, like we said, it just released on April 30th after competing at the Venice Film Festival uh, last year, which is the first Indian film actually to compete at the festival in 20 years, which is pretty crazy. Um, at a very basic level, The Disciple is a movie about a man, you know, he's pursuing success in an unpopular art form, despite having a lifetime of setbacks. And like as the viewer and as the character, again and again, it's like he has to confront the realization that like, there are many people around him who are better at this than him. And the question we're always facing in this movie is like, does that mean you should give up or does it prove how devoted you are to the art form to keep going despite all these things and like eventually reach some, you know, level of, of dedication and success. Um, so specifically, and this is the magic and strange thing about this film. It's set entirely in the world of Indian classical music, which I did not know anything about before this movie. Although Although obviously like once you hear it, you're, it kind of sounds like something you've heard before, but I, I certainly didn't know as much about it before seeing it as, as I do now. Um, essentially, it's like a thousand years old discipline. They call it Indian classical music. It's about performing these set number of pre-existing songs, uh, ragas or rags. And, um, but the song quote unquote is essentially just like this framework for the singer who is the huge star to do this kind of vocal improvisation. 
And, um, and it's all about emptying your mind and, you know, purely being in the moment and doing this kind of vocal improvisation. And they kind of, sometimes they like work together, a couple of them. Um, so it's like whiplash, you know, at Upright Citizens Brigade, right? Um, it's absolutely bewildering and otherworldly. And there is, a, to me, a, you know, a Western person. And um, there are many scenes in this movie where you get to see people perform Indian classical music. And very early in the movie, you sort of have to be like, wait, is this person doing good or are they doing bad? Like, I think they're doing bad, but I'm not like 100% sure. Um, and you just are completely thrown into it. And it and it is beautiful and it's so interesting and it's so unlike anything we have in, in the Western tradition. Um, and, the, you know, the question though is, is, it's not particularly popular in India either. And so, you know, again and again, right, it's like these people are dedicating themselves to this art form, but all of the characters who are dedicated to it, it's like unclear exactly what they expect to get out of it or, you know, what what their goals are exactly other than, you know, to just perform and, and to perform well. Um, another thing to note about this film is that uh, Alfonso Cuaron was very involved in it. Um, he met the director through this weird like filmmaker mentorship program sponsored by Rolex, but he's been was extremely involved in the movie, like from the script stage to the editing. He suggested the cinematographer, uh, Michael Sobachinsky. Uh, so he's, he's and he just gives joint interviews with uh, the director. Uh, so he's very, very involved, which kind of makes sense if you think about it. But it really is very different in a lot of ways than a Quran movie. Um, all the, Caleb, I'll just say I, I really like this movie a lot. It was I definitely didn't know what I was getting into when I started it, but I was very pleasantly surprised. Um, what what did you think about it? Yeah, uh, first of all, just giving a shout out to Netflix. Uh, it's on Netflix, so go watch this. Uh, it's cool. Netflix still buys distribution rights on uh, a lot of international features. Like, that's... Probably, I, I'm always excited when I uh, see that. Like, it is like, oh, cool, I could watch this. Uh, Happy as Lazaro, Divines, uh, Atlantics is great. Uh, On Body and Soul was an Oscar nominated movie. Like, these movies are hard to, like, it, 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 even here in New York, uh, they're like in uh, a theater for a week. And that's like that, uh, I forget the name of the theater, but that shitty one on the Upper West Side was oh. small. And if it's a popular movie, it'll sell out. Uh, anyway, it's cool that Netflix is doing this. So congratulations, Netflix. You even, uh, I was like, oh, cool. Uh, that's why I like when Chris is like, oh, there's a foreign movie added to Netflix. Like, oh, cool. I'm down for that. Um, but yeah, good job, Netflix. Uh, don't hate you. <laughs> it is cool, right? You're right. It is. Yeah. Like, given what, who Netflix is and where it seems like they think their programming given needs their to be going. output of exactly. dumb shit they put out. Yeah. Um, it, that uh, they're bothering to go to the Venice Film Festival and buy distribution rights for a movie like The Disciple. Yeah. It's kind of amazing. Yeah. You have that much money. Like, I hey, just throw it at them. And it's cool that uh, it keeps people like me around. Uh, anyway. Uh, there's a lot of great filmmaking going on. I, 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 that Quran stuff is very interesting. And uh, uh, yeah, there really is, doesn't feel like a Quran film, maybe his earlier work, but yeah, uh, I don't know. There is like technical stuff that I loved about this movie. Like a lot of it is just big, wide shots. Each scene uh, like shows the crowd and it shows the setting. Uh, like India is a very vast place. And like, you see all these people in these like really amazing shots. And he does that a lot, especially during uh, performance scenes too. Uh, it just shows everything, uh, and I thought that was like just good filmmaking. Uh, and then, like what, like what we're saying about like how this movie is about uh, creativity and devoting yourself. It's called the disciple. It's like he, he is a believer in the teachings of the music. He he really believes in it. Uh, 
it all comes from this amazing script. Uh, it's uh, Chaitanya Tamani uh, wrote the script too. And it really is an amazing script. And I, when I took a step back and thought about the script, like, oh, uh, it's very educational about uh, Hindu music without being pandering too. Yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, like we're talking about Indian classical mu- music and like, yeah, I, I didn't know, know it. Uh, Hindustani music. Uh but yeah, it's uh, a lot of throat warbling and uh, uh, yeah, it's like I'm very tempted to do. Hand. I'm tempted to do uh, to do it, but we'll just oh, play gosh. a clip of it. We'll just play a clip, yeah. of it, right? Yeah. <laughs> I w- Chanting and improvisation, which is wild. Um, it's like it's a discipline. They could call this movie also dis- the disciplined. Uh, yeah, it, right. you have to be really fucking disciplined to do it. Um, well, and so and much w- of the movie, like you're saying about it being disciplined, it's like it's like him getting pointers on how to be better, and they're very harsh oh, Lord, to him. Yeah. They're like, "No, you're not listening. Like, no, where's your head at? Like, what are you thinking about? Stop thinking." You know. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other movie I suggested. Uh, that I'm kind of, I don't know, I didn't care, uh, was Whiplash, which is another movie. I no, Whiplash is like, might have been a better, it might have been a better pairing. I, I wanted to do Inside Lewin Davis because I'm a yeah. baby and I find Whiplash hard to watch. Oh, I fucking love Whiplash. Uh, I would say uh, Inside Lewin Davis is, uh, if we're paying closer attention to the actual uh, means of creativity, and if we're looking at the mentor of it, uh, which that is, if you're a disciple, you're following somebody, uh that would be whip more whiplash. And we could talk, I was going to talk about that for a sec. Uh, yeah, there is like a very much, like he's a disciple, he's following somebody. Uh, he has a guru whose name is Guruji, uh, uh, who, you know, he's devoted to him. He like, takes care of him. Uh, like he's on stage with him. He's one of the sitar players with him on stage. Uh, like as part of the training, there's like a couple of Guruji's uh mentees on stage with him and he like will like throw to the people on stage and there's a scene where he bluntly calls out uh Sherud Sherrod is the uh uh lead character's name it's so mean because it's his yeah. guru and it made and it's so meaningful to him to be allowed to, to, to perform and the gurus called on everybody else and they've just been like oh they're doing fine you know and he calls on our main character and he's like no <laughs> you know he's so yeah, mean it's to a very him. blunt person yeah very blunt straightforward and that's what it is uh and also to his credit he's very happy with his life <laughs> like yeah. uh as we're talking about like touching a fame and stuff or like making a living out of this uh, with Sherrod, we see him wanting to make a living out of this, wanting to be more rushed about it in the sense that he wants to be comfortable in life, wants to be a master at this. Where Guruji, who is uh, uh, a, ma- a master at this, is just more like, yeah, this is, I practiced till I was 40 and now I'm just doing it every day. It's just what life is. He's just more accepting of like how, like, no one cares and now that's fine because he's doing it he's just living his life and he's just happy to he's you know borrowing money from uh, our main character all the time but like because he doesn't have any money and he's just always complaining about stuff he seems very he does but this is i think the one of interest that one of the interesting things about the movie is our lead character uh, what's his name again i i forgot uh sharad sharad so sharad the thing about sharad is he can't perform well as a, this, you know, uh, this kind of improvisational music because he's too in his head. He can't get out of his head. 
But at the same time, that's his problem generally in life. That's why he's unhappy is because he can't get out of his head. He's second guessing everything that's going on. He's comparing himself because we see in the film that his entire life, his uh, he's been uh, raised to be obsessed with this kind of music. Like his dad was someone who would perform this music, but was never as popular as he wanted to be. And him and his friends are all obsessed with it. And he gets his son to be obsessed with it. And then his son is exactly the same kind of person who performs it, but isn't as popular as he wants to be and feels awful. Mm-hmm. It's very informative. That's good, great in the script that does that. And it also just helps build him the anxiety, which... Uh, it does lead it lead into the performance. Uh, the actor's name is Aditya Modak. Uh, he's a trained musician. He's not. This is his first movie. Uh, he does the musician stuff amazingly. But I, I was impressed of him as an actor because it's t- that's a tough role because one tough, you have to you yeah. actually be the actual dude the musician. And I would say like it's a two hour movie. Probably a good thirty oh maybe thirty minutes plus of it is actual performance. And he's acting on stage during performance. These are like one take shots. They yeah, do and, and you're supposed to be seeing like deep things about his personality mm-hmm. coming out while he's doing the singing that are like, like unrelated the, uh, to the singing. You know, like I said, he's in the background of the guru, but like the camera will pan past the guru as you see like that's I think the opening shot. Yeah, the opening shot is just like him watching devoutly his guru sing this song, and, and like yeah, it really just sets up the movie. Like oh, this guy is just like obsessed with this shit. Uh, yeah. It's so interesting, right? Because it's this idea of like, I mean, it sets you up for failure, right? Because you're you you just want to yeah. do something the way somebody else did it, but it, so by definition, the way you do it is never going to be good enough for you, and that's he just just tortured by this forever, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that anxiety really is like the 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 through line of the movie. Like they don't necessarily ever come out and say it outright. I think there's like a weird sequence where they kind of do, but it's more like yeah. like I see the anxiety of like he's thinking. Uh, is this what my life is right now? Uh, and like, like you said, he there's shades of his father's failure, like him wanting to like do it right that way. Um, yeah, uh, we didn't even talk about like there's a huge time jump in this movie. It's like uh, several actually. I, well, there's like one major one, right? Yeah. There's one like it's like a 12 year time jump where like he does a performance. He's like a, has a lead performance. It didn't, I think that one goes very well. Well, this uh, is it's think, so interesting because it's like a, a, it's been a solid hour of this. He's anxious. He can't do anything right, and then he does this performance, and he's like, "It's perfect. It's absolutely perfect." He crushes it. But it, you sort of it, the movie kind of cuts. It's like you realize that like there was like nobody there and you know what yeah. I mean? Like there was like cuts, 15 yeah. people there and they weren't even really paying attention. And that was it's it, more, you know, like, uh, as a high point in his career, it's still yeah. like, uh, a hill, not a but mountain. It, 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 and there. also, but it's like, it let him believe he could do it. You know what I mean? Yeah. It got him by it through 12 years. And now he's like a, a music teacher with a mustache. He's a little bit fatter <laughs> as yeah. a kid now. <laughs> And he has this, it's, it's like, he's kind of pathetic, but he's also kind of not, you know, it's, it's very, uh, and, and he's taking care of Guruji's now very, very old. Yeah, and it's kind of like, like, he's yeah. just taking care of him. Like it's his grand, like it's his father, you know, mm-hmm. he scolds people on like, even how they, they care for Guruji. Like he has to do it his way, his dis- disciplined way. Uh, there's also another cool thing. I, I, I'm really glad they sprinkled this in again. It's a great, good screenplay. Um, uh, Throughout, like the t- after uh, the twelve year time jump, uh, he keeps seeing on TV a young girl who uh, starts off with like she's doing more traditional uh, Hindu music, uh, and then uh, she's doing this on uh, their equivalent of American Idol. Uh, I forget what it's called, but uh, she gets the golden ticket, and then 
as they keep showing her more and more, like cutting back to her, like gradually, uh, she's selling, she's doing that selling out more. She's like, uh, more makeup, uh, doing less traditional. And by the end we see her, it's just like, oh, this is a completely different, uh, like she started off being like, oh, cool. She could be a, pass the torch for this traditional music. And at, by the end, she's just a, yeah, she's like completely sold out. But at the yeah. same time, it's like we've watched him over the course of all this, like, she is at the beginning doing the kinds of music that he wants to be doing and she does it better than him. And she's, he's watching her on the screen and like, she's on this TV show and you know, it's, it's American Idol. Right. So they're playing all this like sappy music while she, after she gets her ticket to Bombay or Mumbai or wherever. And um, she runs out and she's uh, crying and her dad hugs her and he's saying all this stuff about how he believes in her talent and all this stuff. And then we're just cutting back to, uh, you know, and our main character, like sullenly, like eating dinner by himself, like watching TV. It's like so rough, mm-hmm. you know, because it's all the stuff he never could have and all the things nobody has ever said to him. Mm-hmm. Like, yes, yeah, a part of that uh, writing anxiety without actually saying it outright. It's just such good filmmaking. Uh, like one yeah. of the, uh, those mo- like those moments where he's alone, and I thought this was cool. They did it. Uh, they show him jacking off. Like they show uh, him jacking <laughs> off like several times. Yeah. yeah, and again, there's a time jump. Like they do it early on, where it's just like, oh yeah, I guess you have to do that. It's like yeah, it's a moment to yourself. You got to like just relax and have it. And then uh, ten to twelve years later, they do a good job of subtly incorporating technology. Twelve years later. Because uh, he's watching like a cam model because you can hear like the tip ding. Yeah, there's, you can hear the tip ding. <laughs> I was like, damn, that's just funny, good writing. That's so, yeah. It's that's all around really solid good. filmmaking really for good. something that I didn't know much about. So it elevated this thing where I'm like trying to learn, but also being really entertained at the same time. It's And the thing totally. to say too, I think is like... um the, you know, and I, and I hope I don't sound ignorant when I say something like this, but like the music itself is very hypnotic and it has this way that it's kind of like repetitive, but it, it changes and it's flows and it's, it's very, it's, you know, it's hypnotic dreamlike blah, blah. You, but the film, the film is it, yeah. put together in, in that same way, I think. Right? Yeah. Like where there's like long seg, there's long sequences where uh, every character's like riding on a motorcycle in slow motion through the streets in the middle of the night, and we're hearing these like lectures that he's obsessed with listening to that are all about how to like truly dedicate yourself to Indian mm, classical music. That's the music. other uh, person he follows, his other uh, leader, if yeah, you will, my, mentor, right. my uh, who taught his father, taught his uh, father and, and his guru, right? Guru, yeah, uh, and is like this legendary person who's never re- never had herself recorded. Uh, has uh, so many followers and uh, she's more just a lost art uh, that exists in the Hindu classical music world. And so he listens, um, he has these secret tapes of her, you yeah. know, and he listens to them all the time, but it's like many sequences of the movie are yeah, him riding his motorcycle. It's in slow motion. He's listening about dedication, you know? Um, and then there's also, I would say there's, there's, so these are the two main time jumps, but then there's also like a couple other, time jumps in the movie one of them is this amazing thing where he's a little boy and he's going with his dad to see this concert uh at Mm -hmm. far away somewhere and like that it's really from the dad's point of view the dad is talking to his friends and they're you know talking about the music and like how devoted they are to it and stuff and kind of razzing each other um but when they get to this concert, it's like so beautiful. <laughs> this is, this is, I mean, the movie does look really good, but this is the only sequence where it's like really gone out of its way to like, 
it's like really just fucking amazing to look at. Yeah, they're outside. There's mountains. They're outside. They're on this water, like a lake. There's mountains everywhere. Everybody's wearing these like gentle pastel robes and the camera is just framing them in these ways where, I mean, it's like, it's like a a vulgar display of beauty, you know, (laughs) but also at the same time, it's like the movie's called the disciple. This kind of Hindu classical music does derive from being religious, even though they don't, they specifically aren't religious supposedly <laughs> the the people that the arming character and the other people but like or my is really religious i guess but um it looks like it, it looks religious like what they're doing it looks like they're at church right like because they're just like in these robes and they're on these crazy white plinths and there's one person on a taller plinth and they're all like you know i i thought it very like directly kind of made that line that connection between the music and and kind of like a religious feeling because i mean that is kind of what's going on right for for him especially because he's just devoted to this stuff oh for sure yeah and uh it's uh, it's devotion and anxiety and it all comes together through uh adita modak uh actor who uh, maybe i'll see again hopefully one day uh i think what he does really good in this movie is that his character always has that sense of awe about yeah. the music itself like he's always like never loses sight of that first thrill he got when he started getting into hindu music uh it's uh, uh especially how much he transforms again we say there's time jumps like he looks different and i think there's like two scenes i think we uh talked about him like being scolded on stage uh i think that was a very good scene and also uh there's a t- other time jump where they it's later in the movie they go back to him meeting a music critic. Yeah. He's just very excited. And it's a, such a fucking good scene. It's a it's really good ac- scene. Yeah. Accurate music depiction of a music critic who's kind of an asshole. Kind of an asshole. And basically he's like, oh, all this stuff you care about, it's all fucking fake. Like, don't you know? Yeah. Don't you this get music it? music critic shatters his worldview, basically. But the really fascinating thing about this is like, it's flashing back to a time that would have been before any of the things we've seen of him Mm -hmm. in the movie, except for him being like eight years old. So basically we're to understand he had all of his illusions shattered. He had someone directly tell him like, all these people are phonies. Like all this shit they're talking about is nonsense. Like, like you, you cannot believe this stuff, but even still he dedicated his life to it. Mm hmm. Which is uh, and, yeah. and that that sequence is at the end, so it's it's it really puts the whole movie in a new context. It's very fascinating. Mm-hmm. It's very fascinating. It's like one of those ways, like oh, I'm I'm empathizing with him, but also like, what are you doing here, man? Like, yeah, this is your life. Because the, obviously the music critic guy it seems like he's probably right, you know, like yeah. And so it, and so, but this is the thing. This is the thing we've actually heard Mai say in these recordings over and over again, which is like, and what his guru says, it's like, you can't, you can't give up. You, there'll be a million opportunities to give up on yourself. And the only way to succeed is to not do it. And so, uh, very obviously, he's living that commitment, you know? For sure. Um, yeah, don't have much more to say. I think there was a good line of like, Oh, that's what sell music is where they sell where they, they look uh, he works for uh he, to make money he works for a record company that just like sells archival music uh and someone comes up to them either at a thing and the uh, do you have any devotional music uh, and they don't because they're classical and they look at each other Do devotional music sells yeah, like, like oh, everybody that's... wants devotional music they're like <laughs> oh i know and some other guy comes up to the booth like before that and he's like uh 
I haven't heard any of these people. And they're like, he's like, oh yeah, they're like pretty obscure. <laughs> and the guy's like, well, can you recommend anybody? He's like, oh, I don't know, man. It's all pretty good. He tries to upsell them on like, oh, take this greatest hits album that has a giant, has uh, it's a thousand rupees. It's like, obviously this guy seems, he, he's trying to sell him a regular CD and he's kind of balking at paying 150 rupees for it. He's like, no, I, I'm okay. And his next move is to try to sell him like a 16,000 rupee like box set. And the guy's like, no, definitely not. Okay, bye. Um, well, also, I, without spoiling it at all, like Caleb, do you think this movie has a happy ending? Are we meant to understand that this ending of this movie is a happy ending? Uh... It's happy enough in the sense that the character of Sherrod uh, just fully more accepts it. Like it like accepts know. his like place in the universe kind of. Yeah. It's more like a universal, like he sees that like he sees other people who are maybe uh, as struggling as him or is he seeing that? Or is this just a beauty? It's a beauty in the struggle thing of like, we're all, have our goals and we're all not going to meet them that he just accepts that in the, in the way, uh, which is like, cool. Cause that's true. Like yeah. you just have to accept life. It's very, again, life's hard. It's you have to accept rough. things that happened. <laughs> it's pretty rough, but this is what I was talking about too, about, um, in the first segment, like about like, what does it mean to be successful in a creative field? I mean, obviously I think this about myself, right? Of course, both these movies hit me so hard because I'm going through this kind of stuff too, all the, all the time, constantly, you know, because I have like sort of have a writing career, but like sort of not, you know, and it's like very tough and it's like very emotionally difficult for me. But it's like, one of the things I think about a lot is like, like, okay, so he has this, Sherrod has this thing where he played perfectly one time. Okay. Like, is that enough? You know, is it enough to have done something good once? Like, even if it didn't make you into the world's most celebrated person, because then you have to say like, well, what you value isn't success or like your idea of doing a good job. What you value is like recognition of other people and fame. And like, isn't that supposed to be bad? And like explicitly in this thing, they say it's bad. Like that's not, that shouldn't be what you want. But like, you know, so you have to say like, well, I did do like exactly what I wanted to do at least once. And I, I know I crushed it. So like, but what you have to, how many more times do you have to do it? Do you know what I mean? How you have to do it like over and over again forever. And like how many people have to know about it. And it's, these are very like essential questions about what it means to want to do any kind of art thing, you know? Yeah, uh, like like bands tour, they have to do that night in and night out. Is that successful? Like they 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 could, the bands will tell you themselves like, no, we're not good every night. It's but I mean also like if you're a band, like say you're in like if you made like one perfect record, you know, like do you have to yeah, keep yeah, making yeah, records for like the next fifty years? Like can you <laughs> could you not just like do something else? You'd be like, like I made a really good record, everybody loves it. Like I'm just fulfilled by that. Play ya ya ding dong. Um, yeah, 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 ding dong. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, it's the the uh, dark side of creativity is the is the success is that it just hamstrings you some, uh, and maybe there is a beauty in just pursuing an art and knowing that uh, you always have the art to fall back on, and that's cool too. I don't know yeah. why I just thought of uh, professional wrestling at this point. Like some great wrestlers have never won the the, the actual title belt, uh, but they have done amazing work. And I, uh, it's just it's art. They're still doing cool things. They still have the bruises from that shit. But like no one knows like their real name. They're just 
I guess that's the movie what the wrestler is about. We should have paired it with the wrestler. I guess that's another <laughs> good movie. That would have been a good one, actually. The wrestler. Yeah. That would have been great. Yeah, it's about committing yourself to that. Well, that it is. It's about committing yourself. At the yourself. end of your career, he's at that fucking tail end of his career and he just keeps doing it anyway. But again, it's about like, what does it mean to, what does it mean to be successful? Yeah. You know what I mean? And, yeah. and how much are you, of yourself are you willing to give up to, to, to do the thing you want to do? Yeah. It's a hard thing. It's a hard questions. And like, to what end? Cause the, we just have this idea in our society that you should, and I guess not just in our society in Indian society that you should completely give yeah, everything universal, of yeah. yourself to this, to like an art, if, if that's what you want. And if it means that you're poor and if it means that nobody cares about you, like it doesn't mean you're not successful. It's like you're supposed to want to do that. Like those those are the signs of being a dedicated artist. But like to actually live that like really sucks, you know? And like everybody who loves you is like, "Why are you doing this to yourself? Like this is crazy. You just stop doing this. Like you're not even good at it." And you're like, shut up. I know I'm good at it." You know? Like but like yeah. is that good? You know, is that I don't know if that's good or not. <laughs> I think we could continue this exact conversation uh, with our next movie. Yes, definitely a good idea. Uh, inside Lewin Davis. I'm interested in, in gigging here. Okay, let's hear something. You don't want to hear the record? Why should I? You're here. Play me something. Play me something from Inside Lewin Davis. Okay. New York, 1961, Bohemian counterculture is coming into its own, and here we meet folk troubadour Lewin Davis. Homeless and with no real fan base, Lewin mooches off of those who tolerate his prickly behavior while he navigates scrounging money in order to preserve his idea of what his career is while he endures with his own comeuppances of how he treats people and how he genuinely acts uh, written and directed by the Coen brothers, uh, the character of Lewin is in line with their history of men undone by fate, hmm. while the movie itself eschews more loosely, not really having a plot per se, but more a series of indignations that uh, Lewin sometimes brings upon himself. Uh, this is again all set in the East Village in 1961. The Gaslight Cafe plays a huge role, and the Coens have a respect and a reverence for the period and the place and the music. Uh, at times bleakly funny, at times thoughtful and joyful in its musical numbers, and all tied together with an all-time performance from Oscar Isaac. Uh, the movie is typical Coen Brothers in the sense it's good. Uh, Chris, it's good. if you had wings like Noah's dove, would you fly the river to the one you love? Yes, of course I would do that, Caleb. It would be crazy not to. Um, yeah, you know, I, it's an iconic film. It's survived in meme form, uh, like some of the well, best what's movies the we get to talk about. Wait, uh, what, uh, uh, what did you say? What's the meme? What's the meme? Oh, where he goes like, like the moon. <laughs> it's the, um, the recording session of Please Mr. Kennedy. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Where, um, Al what's Cody. his face? Yeah, Al Cody's, yeah. Well, not well, what's it, but it with uh, uh, Adam Driver, Justin Timberlake, Adam Driver, yeah. Justin Timberlake. But it's like Adam Driver is doing this really weird thing where he's singing like really crazy in a really low voice and like saying crazy things. Sure, sure, sure. Uh, yeah, yeah that that comes up sometimes on the internet. <laughs> but like, uh, I hadn't, I hadn't actually seen it. <laughs> you know, it's like the reason Oscar Isaac is famous. Also, it's actually way older than I thought. This movie's from 2013. 2013 yeah. It's like eight years ago. That's pretty long at this point. So, it, but uh, I, I was 
very pleasantly surprised. Like, yes, like you say, it doesn't necessarily have a plot. It's kind of like a scene movie. Like it's kind of a, just a movie about this world of like, but, but in a very Coen brothers way that it's very centered on one person who is being shit on by the universe over and over again in ways that seem to have really not to exactly be his fault. Uh, and also there's like a very malevolent John Goodman in this movie. So like you also know it's a Coen brothers movie. Um, but I thought it was really interesting and it's, it's, you know, it's a New York city movie, right? I'm always a sucker for a New York city movie. Um, but, uh, like, oh, and it's got a fantastic performance from Carrie Mulligan, right? Like who is great in this movie. Yeah. This, I don't know. I saw this in theaters. I, I always like, I've probably seen it probably once a year. Oh, really? Uh, Like when I played it on Amazon, it was, uh, when I hit play, it was the credits started playing because it was went from the last watch. I was like, Oh, I, I just, I don't know. I'm a huge Coen Brothers fan. And this one always like creeps up on me because it's not like their other movies. It really much is though. Uh, but, uh, I mean, there's a different cinematographer they're working with. Uh, I don't know. It's just a little bit different for them, uh, which is great. Uh, because who wants to make the same movie over and over again? Uh, but yeah, I, I could go down from like scene to scene from this movie. It just, hmm. Uh, they also, I think they edit it themselves too, which uh, they do, but not all the time. And yeah, it gave us. I mean, where to begin, eyes. right, Caleb? Are you having <laughs> yeah. the problem of like you don't even know where to start with like things that well, you I love? I start about at the beginning where he they, he's singing uh, "Hang Me, Oh Hang Me," uh, which is sets the tone for the movie right there. He's like he's in intimate lighting, uh, his backlit. There's a very big close up on his face, and you see like there's like hip young people at the Gaslight Cafe. Like, just nodding, like, oh, getting it. Like, this is good. So we're knowing how good he is. Uh, and then he makes a self-deprecating joke about how old folk songs in. So it's like, you know, he has opinions about folk music. It's a song about living under one's means and wanting to die. Hmm. Uh, and then he gets beat up in the alleyway right afterwards for something he did, which we don't know about. Uh, and then, you know, we go right into him going back home. And that's where... Uh, a thing that me and Chris talked about before in our pre-show conversation about uh, a cat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. The cat is like this device in this movie, right? Like uh, it's, it's just this thing where every time it seems like the, uh, like you're, they're having a great scene, but you're not exactly sure how it's going to end. Oscar Isaac will just jump up from the table and go like, Hey, it's the cat. And then like run and chase the cat. Or it's like, <laughs> if he needs to just move from one location to another, it's like, for some reason he has to take the cat somewhere, you know? So it's, it's uh, a good example of all the indignant easy faces in this movie like the cat is uh he he's homeless he has nowhere to stay he stays a lot with this upper west side professor couple who can i say caleb do you know who the professor is who the professor is ethan phillips who is famous because uh he's in tons of stuff he was on benson Oh, oh, uh, Neelix. He was Neelix in Star Trek Voyager. A fantastic performance as Neelix. Initially a very (laughs) annoying character, but he comes to be, like, great. (laughs) Like, he has a lot of, like, he's a very deep character, and he's so sweet, so sweet. Uh, So I love it, love to see, love to see him in this movie. I know him from, uh, he's great on Benson. Uh, He's in tons of stuff, I don't know. Uh, Six six seasons on, sorry. It's like like 700 episodes of television. Yeah, he's a, a... I mean, I could get into the character. Like, this is a stacked character actor movie. I mean, every Coen Brothers movie, you oh, look at God. the cast, it's a stacked character actor movie. And even uh, big name stars are, are are great. You could just be a character actor in this movie. This is before Adam Driver was famous. This was after oh, yeah. 
John Goodman is famous, but they're both great character actors in this. Movie. I mean, when did *An Education* come out? Like, not that long before this, right? Like, Carrie Mulligan. Oh no, no, yeah, not that long before this. Yeah, she. Uh, yeah, let's talk about Carrie Mulligan in this movie for a sec. Uh, I think she's a little bit. Her name is Jean. Uh, uh, she's part of the folk duo Jim and Jean. Uh, I'm a little bit of a paramour of the time. Uh, I mean, a woman in the '60s. Uh, like as soon as we see uh, one of the scenes, we see her uh, two men talk about her afterwards. Like, yeah, I'd like to fuck her. Yeah, it's really <laughs> weird and gross. Um, yeah, and, I mean, uh, it's supposed to be weird and gross. acts yeah. angry uh, this entire movie because, uh, like, Lou, like Lewin's a fuck up. He gets her pregnant and uh, has to pay for her abortion. And also, we get the sense that he kind of like not necessarily forced him, but probably tricked her or like pressured her into it. Uh, like she does care for him and weld him, but like also like he's friends with his with her with Jim, her, her husband. Uh, so Lewin is like a fucking dick. <laughs> he's an asshole. He's he call, he's dick, calls yeah. himself an asshole several times well, in this movie. To talk about Carrie Mulligan some more, though, I I think she's bringing a lot to this movie because I don't particularly think her character is written that well. Like all of her lines uh, are, I think they're all kind of clunkers. She has a lot of jokes about like how he should wear like. Wear, wear a condom and wear two condoms and wrap yourself in one big giant condom. I was like, really okay, I mean, this is not yeah. all that. It's, it was not like that great of dialogue. Yeah, she just has to portray that like we should not like Lewin as much as we do. <laughs> yeah. And she does a really good job at that. Yeah, she's very She also still cares about him. She can't help it. It's uh, interesting that, I mean, it's hard to play that. And she, again, great actors can do do stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, she she does a really good job. I, I think she and she's in in the a bunch of the movie. She was really good. Yeah. Um but I mean like to talk about performances, right? I mean, this this you would you would you agree? I mean, this is the reason Oscar Isaac is famous. Yeah, not too much uh before. I can't even think of I think he was in uh I don't know. Uh that movie, what was that movie Sucker Punch? Oh, was he really? He was in he... Sucker Punch. Yeah, uh, and I remember him from something stupid, too. I mean, Sucker Punch is probably stupider than the movie I'm trying to think of. Um, but yeah, uh, I remember him being cast in a Coen, lead of a Coen Brothers movie, like, and then seeing it was about uh, the folk scene in the 60s. Like, oh, this, he must be just a good singer, gender, which he is, but he's not known for that. And then, yeah, I fell in love with him instantly, and I saw this, and I think it was like a one-two punch. It went... Inside Lewin Davis, uh, a most violent year was the next year. Ex Machina was the same yeah, year, was, yeah. Yeah, so like three movies in a row, just like holy fuck. And man, it's I pretty crazy, and they're all so different, right? The performances in all of them. Mm-hmm, um, and mm-hmm. this is so it's so different than all that other Oscar Isaac stuff. I mean, it's almost more like Poe Dameron or something, like because he is being like a roguish, charming guy, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, it's because he. I mean, what to say about Lewin Davis? I mean, it's all the stuff we were saying about in the last movie, right? Like, it's about he's completely dedicated to doing some kind of thing. It's like, I mean, I was thinking about it since we've been doing the show, and it's like, it's like he, it's like he has an idea of what good art is, and he doesn't want to do anything else than that, even if he's not like that good at it. It's like, okay, but to do anything else would be awful, you know? I mean, there's a great sequence where he goes in this scene I was talking about with Adam Driver and uh, Justin Timberlake, where they're singing this song, Please, Mr. Kennedy, this like joke song about not wanting to get shot into space. 
But when I, we were, when I was watching it, I was like, oh, like this is obviously going to be like a huge hit. And there's a, a kind of a sequence where he signs away all his royalties just so he can get a check to get. This, he just needs money really just quick, to get right? this abortion for Carrie Mulligan. Right. And the guy keeps going like, you know, you're not going to have your royalties anymore. And he's like, oh, yeah, whatever, whatever. It's fine. We're, he's like, can I can I cash the check right now? <laughs> you know, it's because he needed the money for an abortion, which is he the money for like abortion. all his small like he has a bunch of just. Dis- things that line up right it's like he can't uh, even he can't even appreciate when he has personally performed something that's like going to be a huge hit that it's like that would be that like that this would be a hit or that it could be good for yeah. him he's just like oh this stupid piece of garbage like just give me a check like i gotta get out of here you know i wrote down a couple of things of just that just like facts about lewin uh i mentioned in like I mean, we just mentioned like he makes poor decisions in lieu of getting money now uh he's homeless uh, he's, homeless, a, yeah. you know, he's uh, early sixties. He's uh, for free love. He's against the war. Uh, he's critical of what's mainstream. Uh, doesn't like spending time with his family. <laughs> he asks a guy he just met if he can use his couch. Uh, he treats people who cares about him poorly. <laughs> and yeah, like I think you said earlier, he uh, he calls Gene a careerist and sad. Yeah, right. As he does not consider his own future. He calls her um, a careerist, like in a movie where he like goes all the way to Chicago just to do an audition for somebody. I mean, like that, that is like, careerist. I, I, yeah, that's careerist. You yeah, know? I think he does like that is in response to probably him calling her careerist because uh, he's really like, he, like he's not thinking about his future at all. He's just that much of he's probably scared of his future. Yeah, well, and uh, it's also like they just got in a fight, and so he wanted to get out of town. Like that's really yeah. it, you know. <laughs> but yeah, uh, he's going through all this like, and he's a prickly guy who. Hardly people to- who to- tolerate more than like, but he just also faces like indignation after indignation. Just things keep happening to him. It's which is life. That's what life is. Like bad things happen, and you have to roll with it. Well, I would uh, like to hear your point of view on this. Like you're talking about him making bad decisions. Like so, I, to me, one of the most questionable things that happens in the movie is towards the end. So this thing, he goes to Chicago. He ends up doing this kind of audition for F. Murray Abraham. Uh, who is some, supposed to be some kind of big folk music guy, agent Bud Grossman. What? Bud Grossman. Bud Gr- oh, is that a real person? I, I don't know. No, it's just cool to reference <laughs> okay. that. The great know. Bud Grossman. Of I thought this maybe movie. you were just like way more informed <laughs> about this period of musical history than me. Like, um, But no, he does this audition and he doesn't say no. He's not mean to him, but he just says like, well, I don't see a lot of money in it. I don't see a lot of money in this. It's a great line. Yeah. Uh, and But then he does offer, cold. he offers him... He says, "Like, look, I have another group. Like, you won't be the front guy, but you can be in the you can be in the band. Like, cut that beard into a goatee. Cut that beard into a goatee." And he just goes, "No," and walks out. And I was like, well, "He says, I was in a group before." Oh, right. Yeah, <laughs> which is a thing hanging over this movie, which we didn't really we talk, didn't talk about. about. Yeah, it's almost like I thought at a certain point I was like, "This movie is like if Paul Simon had killed himself." before Simon and Garfunkel was really famous. Sure. And then Art Garfunkel is left to like fend in the world for himself, you know? Like I said, he just faces all these bad things that happen to him and he just responds to him poorly. Yeah, it's a fucking thing. Uh, but but I was going to killed- say, but I didn't I didn't agree with this decision. I didn't understand why he did it. Like, like what are your thoughts on this? Oh, the, uh, that Mike's, uh, his partner was... Uh, no, the like thing where he storms out of the... Uh, the yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he was, yeah, his partner Mike... Uh, uh, he said he, like I said, he he was in a group do it before. He he doesn't want to do that anymore. Uh, that, as we saw throughout the entire film, like it's really hard for him to deal with that. Yeah, okay, uh, yeah. like there's a part where he berates berates uh, 
the professor's wife, Ethan Phillips's wife, uh, for singing along to a song he sang. Uh, like singing yeah, Mike's uh, part, right? And like making him think he about Mike. He and... really just, it was really, really hard for him. And it's kind of sad uh, if we don't get too much into it because he's just so angry every time it comes up. And luckily, uh, to get to the ending a little bit, he does perform uh, th- that song at the Gaslight and that's as a uh, happy ending as we're going to get because like, oh, it's he accepts that like, oh, that's things happen in life. I could still sing this song and doesn't mean anything really. Uh, but yeah, that's what I took that as is just like he can't just do like he has to do it his way now if he's going to do it. Well, I, uh, which is sad, but also like cool. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, OK, yeah, I can see that. Yeah, like he just has to do it his way and he doesn't. It's somehow he doesn't want to be in like be in a group again, and because of the emotions involved or something like that. Yeah, okay, I, I understand that. I guess. Yeah, he jumped off the George Washington Bridge, which is a bridge you don't want to jump off of, as we learn. Oh my God, John Goodman! Uh, John Goodman in this movie. Yeah, John Goodman in this he's movie a, as a like a guy. Uh, I guess he's a, a jazz musician, co-head. a jazz musician. He's a, he's, he's a jazz musician. Yeah. yeah, who is like addicted to heroin and has a giant cane, and he's a huge asshole. <laughs> And has a sexy young driver played by Garrett Headland. Johnny Five is Garrett Headland's Johnny name. Five. <laughs> so him around weird. He just passes out in bathrooms. Very weird section of the movie where all of a sudden they're on this crazy road trip to Chicago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there's like a part where he just talks about uh, shitting, like having a good shit. Yeah. Another part uh, where he talks about having know. a bad shit after having yeah. a toasted cheese sandwich. Uh, I think maybe that was a point of the Coen brothers making that uh, people who are into jazz are worse than people who are into folk music. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck off, Coen brothers. Jazz is great. <laughs> uh, but yeah, there's, I don't know. Uh, like I said, it's kind of rambling and thing. Uh, I also wrote down a list of just things that like happened to him. <laughs> uh, he's under the assumption that he paid a, for an abortion before uh, so he oh yeah. turns out Diane didn't have the abortion. So he has a kid somewhere. Uh, he thinks he saves the cat. He's very proud of it. He brings the cat back. It's the wrong cat. Uh, like you're saying, he's driving around with Garrett Headland uh, and John Goodman. Uh, John Goodman's passed out in the back and then Garrett Headland gets arrested and he has to hitchhike. Uh, he has a wet foot, <laughs> which sucks if you ever like stepped in a puddle. Yeah, it sucks. It does suck. I yeah. hate it. He also doesn't have a coat. A proper coat for most of the winter. He's always and complaining about he doesn't have a coat, and people are trying to give him coats. People will take him, you know. Twisting it up, cold New York, which we know, me and Chris know, sucks. But they do a good job of twisting it up even a little bit more than a cold winter in Chicago. Oh like, oh, God. that fucking sucks. Um, yeah, he uh, plays the gaslight as a at the end of the movie. It's more of a triumphant thing for him. Uh, he's doing it. He's splitting the basket. He plays there on the night Bob Dylan plays. <laughs> the time New York Times is going to be there, but no, who, he's not going to get it. Bob, Bob fucking Dylan's there that night. He had a great show. Doesn't matter. Bob Dylan's there. Um, and then like one of the more just like little twists, very subtle, and they don't really make a big thing of it. Well, he doesn't. Lewin himself doesn't make a big thing of it. Is, um, he gets that show because it turns out uh, Gene got him that show, got him to talk to Poppy. It turns out Poppy fucked Gene. Hmm. Poppy's the guy who said like, oh, I'd like to fuck her. Uh, Poppy played by Matt Casella in a very boisterous 
asshole role. Oh my god, yeah, he's such a piece of shit. Yeah, he keeps he keeps like he, so many of his lines are. I'd like to fuck her. Like, whoa, what are you kidding? I wouldn't fuck her. <laughs> I fucked her. Yeah, he gets along with Lewin because they're both assholes. <laughs> yeah. And it's funny, yeah. Lewin is actually a huge asshole, makes a huge scene mm-hmm. in the club, and he's like, Yeah, the next night he's like, Yeah, what do I fucking care? Who cares? Yeah, there's like so much good stuff to it. His uh record label meeting is like a old ass record owner who tries to give him his coat and is like, oh, I'll just give you forty bucks. Uh yeah, Carrie Mulligan's great, who just again just did not give him any inch. Like I it's what my favorite thing is like she doesn't super sympathetic, even though like we know she is, just those longing looks mm-hmm. magic of cinema. But Every time she talks to him, it's just like, fuck you, dude. Fuck you. Like, you fucking suck. <laughs> and and also, uh, the music scenes, the songs are, are great. great. It's, great. Uh, I mean, this is also from a period where, like, Justin Timberlake was completely unproblematic. So it's like, he's just in there to be, like, a f- nice guy who likes to sing songs, you know? Uh, and he's like, he does a fine job in the movie. You know, he does a fine job. He's a talented singer. Uh, he does it all the time. Uh, he does even the baritone parts of uh, when uh, Troy sings with Jim and Gene, which is cool. Uh, yeah, he's a talented guy, and he should be more of a character actor. Uh, yeah, he's good at this kind say, of thing, right? He's good. Yeah, uh, Social Network he was good in, this, and sometimes on Saturday Night Live. Oh, and uh, another movie we covered, uh, Popstar Never Stop Stopping. He's pretty solid in. He's good in that, too. Yeah, that's true. It's fantastic. It was, I mean, Ethan Phillips does a great job, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think we'd got most of the... Oh, Alex Karpovsky pops up in this movie. He it's... always used to come into um, Captain Dan's uh, in my neighborhood. I don't know if he must live I used to see him at Bama a lot. Yeah. I, I mean, I guess I was going to say I haven't seen him lately. I haven't seen anybody lately, but like, <laughs> yeah, he used to be around all the time. Um, all right, Caleb, I don't know. Do you want to like, let's say you had to pick one of these two movies uh, or you would be doomed to mediocrity for the rest of your life and never achieve your artistic dreams. I don't know. They're, I was going to say Lewin Davis feels more concise. Uh, that might <laughs> be just because well, I've seen it yeah. like uh, a like again, three. Uh, I've seen it six times now, so I've, I've just seen it that many more times. Uh, they're both the same length of the movie, though. I, I, I looked. That it's is like, oh, interesting. Same t- yeah. but it is uh, more of again. I'm familiar with, I don't know, folk music somewhat, uh, and Bob, the works of Bob Dylan and the Coen Brothers, and where everything in the Disciple was kind of new to me. I didn't know about Hindi music. I, this is the first movie from Shaitana I've, I've seen. I'm going to check out his other movie called Court. I moved it up on my DVD Netflix queue. Um, but I'm going to have to say Inside Lewin Davis, and it's no fault of the disciple. It's just that I love Inside Lewin Davis. Like, uh, he hits rock bottom in this movie, and he's drunk, and uh, he's back at the gore finds, and the movie resets itself, and we're back at the first scene. And I love that. It's like a weird, surreal ending of life is mundane, and you could learn from it, and you can change. You can not let the cat leave the room. You can play the song you used to play with your friend who died, but shit is always going to happen and you just accept it and say, bye. <laughs> That's the ending of this movie. He just gets his ass kicked again and says, au revoir. That's <laughs> a very simple Coen brothers ending. And I don't know. It's hard to pick against the Coen What's... brothers. Uh, I love the disciple, but I'm picking inside Lou and Davis. Yeah, I mean, I would expect nothing less from you, Caleb. Like I, of course, I mean, I, it makes complete sense. I am interested to hear your take on the ending because it was not something we really talked about, but it is this kind of surreal, like, right. Like the world resets itself. And like, 
It's and it it's not like we're back at the beginning because we've seen something different has happened, but it's like somehow the same thing is happening, you know. So. Yeah, it's the, it's pretty much the same thing. It's just like he plays the song too. He plays the song you did with Mike. <laughs> right. But um but for me personally, like having not seen either one of these movies, if I had been watching Inside Lewin Davis for eight years, I might feel a little differently. But like I just have to say the disciple because of all the stuff you said, like about how how uh, unknown this whole world was to me and how interesting it was to learn about it and how, I mean, I do have a note. I mean, you know me, right? Like I, I, I wrote, I'm 26 minutes into this movie and I just want to say, I simply cannot pay attention to this. <laughs> like <laughs> it is very hard to watch. Like not, you have to commit, yeah. not because it's like hard to watch, like, you know, like upsetting, but it's just like, it's so, it, I mean, I don't want to say boring because I don't mean that it's boring, but it's just something about the way the music and the editing and the sound. It's very, yeah, dreamlike. It's it's like might put you to sleep, you know, but it's. Yeah, it's not like a, a mainstream way of doing it. It's more just uh, like the sound design of, of The Disciple is absolutely amazing because it's bringing, bringing, I mean, you have to do it toward the mute, toward the music too. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I get what you're saying. Yeah. Just fantastic. Just a fantastic, utterly you know, utterly put me in a new frame of reference and exposed me to something new, but through the lens of people whose motivations I completely understood, which I just thought was so fantastic and rare. And that's so, you know, I, I, I recommend the disciple. Mm-hmm. Uh, I recommend both. Uh, yeah, well, both sure. Streaming. Me too. I mean, uh, but I would say the disciple doesn't have a scene that ends with a woman holding a cat saying, where is it? Scrotum. <laughs> inside the davis does yeah that is true you do have me on that yeah that does not happen uh yeah uh oh yeah uh i I usually mention oscar nominations we're winding down i could just throw these away uh two oscar nominations t-bone burnett did the score uh he did the score for oh brother where art thou which is legendary and then the cinematographer uh bruno del uh bruno del banel uh who did amelie's cinematography this is his like one of five Oscar nominations. He's never won, I don't think, but a very cool cinematographer. And he's never worked with the Coens. Uh, so it's cool. And it's cool that they work with someone outside of Roger Deakins. Yeah, right. <laughs> and it's interesting. I do. I mean, it's a New York city movie, right? Like I do like the way it looks. I like, I like too the way that it makes, because the sequence where he goes to Chicago, like you said, it's like winter ramped up 10,000 times. And he's out on the highway and so many awful things are happening on the highway. It did make it made in one of those sequences. I was like, oh, if only he was back in New York where all his friends are and it's everything's nice in New York City. And I, and he does eventually make it back to New York. But I was like, oh, yeah, it just it, it does a great job of showing New York as being like a small little town where you see the same people all the time. And, you know, everything's kind of I don't know. It was it, it made me feel very good about being here. Yeah, back in your scene. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, Well, that's it, dog. That's the show, you know? That's the whole thing. We did it. It, dog. It, dog. (laughs) Good night. Thanks for coming to the show, everybody. I really appreciate it. Bye, everybody. We thank you. Bye.
the singing that you were doing in the scene with uh, in in this recording studio mm -hmm. is that is that called something specifically the way you were doing it other than singing? Um, <laughs> I don't know. That's all I had enough mental capacity to handle. I think probably yeah, just singing. 